All right. Uh, guys, so one of my uh, favorite passages in all the scriptures found in 2 Samuel, I know a lot of you guys, you already know this story in 2 Samuel, but essentially the ark of God found its way to Abinadab's house. And most theologians agree that it stayed there for about 70 years. Some historians, they think it's different, but that's not even important to the story. The important part is the ark of God represented the glory of God. The Philistines had captured it and had taken it off. And through a series of events, it ended up at this guy's house named Abinadab. And it stayed there. It stayed there, not very far at all, just miles away from the people of God in Jerusalem, the city of God. And no one, no one made the journey over to grab it until King David came along. King David took 30,000 troops. And he's like, all right, we're going to do this thing. 30,000 of his best troops, they lined up. And again, there's a lot more events. There's a lot more going on. So I encourage you to go read it. But essentially, they went and they got the ark and they loaded it up and they took six steps. And after six steps, they stopped. And they praised God. And they did that all the way to Jerusalem. They prayed and they stepped and they prayed and they stepped and they worshiped and they moved. And they did that all the way to Jerusalem. And you can just imagine the intensity that was built through that. So that by the time they got to Jerusalem, the trumpets were blaring. People were hanging out of the windows and it was a parade. It was a celebration. And I can't even start my mind to go to that place. Like when I start to try to think about what that had been like, that's just mind blowing to me. We know about celebrations though, don't we? Right after World War II, New York City, there was a victor, uh, victory parade. Look at this picture. It said that two and a half million Two and a half million people in New York City lined the streets as thousands of troops walked through. It was said, and I've watched video footage of this, and I've, I've seen a lot of pictures. It was said that the parade lasted, listen, 11 hours. Yeah, I think that, that Thanksgiving Day parade goes forever. But this thing, 11 hours worth of parade, like it just kept going and going. We know about celebrations. Many of us in this room, we weren't around for that, but you were probably around for this one. Look at this, 1984, right? 1984. I didn't care a thing about baseball in 1984. Like I was all about Oklahoma Sooner football. That was when the boss was there. So I did this week, just so you know, I went back and I watched footage from the game because I had never seen it. Like, I didn't know the drama that went down. Kirk Gibson's Homer, I had never seen that before. So I went this week, I sat down at the desk, I watched the YouTube video, Kirk, and if you don't know baseball, let me just tell you what happened, like real fast, because this is, this is good. Kirk Gibson steps up, Detroit's playing for the World Series, baseball champions of the whole world right there, they're, they're right there on the verge, and they're trying to win this thing, and the bad guys. The bad guys see Gibson come up to the plate, and so they're like, no, we're going to have a little huddle or whatever you call that thing at the pitcher's mound. But they had one of those, base, whatever a baseball huddle is. And so they had that thing at the pitcher's mound. They're like, should we pitch to this guy or not? I don't think we should because he's pretty good. He's already hit a homer, like a two-run homer earlier. I don't think we should. But they were dumb, and they pitched to him anyway. And so when they did, it was just like, boom, out of here. The ball just went, and he goes around. And here's the best part. I went and watched the news footage. You should do this. You should totally go back and watch the news footage of the parade. 
Because when you do, you're going to watch the news, guys, and you're going to laugh because you're going to go, what were we thinking with the styles? Like, what was going on there? But then the parade starts. And when the parade starts, you're going to see the horses. And it's like horses just know. Like, they just know it's parade time, right? Like, we're not on duty right now. So the horses are prancing around. And then the band comes through, the marching band. But the marching band's not like military precision marching band. It's not like New York City Victory Parade. This is Detroit, right? And so they're like getting down, like they're dancing, they're doing the thing, dancing through the streets. And then the players come through on the cars, right? They're sitting on the cars and they're, they're going through. And, and for some reason, all of this, did anyone actually go to the parade? Like if we, this will be so cool if there's anyone. No, watch the video then, watch it. Cause here's what happens. Most people in most cities, you stay on the sidewalks and you have some order to you. And you watch as everyone goes through. Nope, this is Michigan. You know what we do? All of a sudden, watch. You've got to watch. All of a sudden, people come off the sidewalks, and they are so close. They're touching the cars as they go by. They're like, nope, we're in the parade. Like, the whole city is celebrating. It was absolutely awesome. Again, good morning, everyone. I am Billy Creech, and it is my, um, actually, this is my second time to say this today, but uh, it is my pleasure to be here as your campus pastor. I'm really fired up about being here this morning, and uh, it's a joy to be here on this Palm Sunday, but we have a lot of ground to cover. So let's take our Bibles and open up to Mark chapter 11 this morning. Mark chapter 11. As you're turning there, let me just say that for 2,000 years, more than 2,000 years, but for at least 2,000 years, we as a people, we've known how to respond when we win right? We know how to celebrate. We know how to welcome home our heroes. We know how to welcome a king, right? We know how to go about this. We know what it is to have a parade. We know what it is to have a celebration. But when Jesus entered into Jerusalem, the city didn't show up. When Jesus entered into Jerusalem, the city didn't show up. According to Mark's account, the the city wasn't there to greet him. Oh, there was a parade that was going to be had, but it was because of the people who had followed with Jesus all the way from Galilee. There was the people who joined the journey in Jericho. It wasn't that Jerusalem showed up, but we shouldn't be surprised by that, should we? Mark's told us again and again and again, Jesus is going to go to Jerusalem. He's going to be crucified. He's going to be, he's going to be killed, so we shouldn't be surprised that the city doesn't show up. You see, Jesus is going there to confront the authorities. He's going there to really confront Satan and sin and death and overthrow them all. That's why the title of this little series that we're in, it's just a few weeks, is called Overthrown, Triumph Through Tragedy. Triumph Through Tragedy. Now, I know you've already heard this so many times over the past few weeks, but this is it. This is Holy Week. We are starting Holy Week now, marching toward Good Friday. And then we have Easter one week from today. Be inviting people. Be inviting, but you should be thinking through and praying through who are the people that live next to you, that work with you, that you're related to, that you go to school with. Who are the people you should be inviting to join us for Easter this year? The reality is I don't know what you're going through. Some of you are going through some stuff right now. Right? Some of you, you've got some heavy things that you're dealing with, and I don't know what it is to walk in your shoes. And some of the people you're going to invite in, like they're going through stuff that I just I can't understand, but I can't tell you this. When we align our ways with his ways, there's victory. There's victory through Jesus Christ. 
whenever we align our ways with his ways, even when it's the hardest things in life to deal with, we can still find peace through Jesus Christ, which brings us to the big idea today. Jesus, Jesus comes as the humble king who won't be ignored. Jesus comes as the humble king who won't be ignored. But you know, sometimes in America, when we throw around words like king, we don't really understand what that means. And so I want to clean up for the rest of this morning what we're talking about when I say he comes as the king. I want to talk about three different things. First of all, I want to talk about the king who commands you. Jesus is the king who commands you. Let's go to the word of God. Mark chapter 11. I'm going to start out in verses 1 through 6. The Bible says this. It says, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, and he said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it, and we'll send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. So at this point, Jesus has been traveling for a few months, which is kind of cool because that's how long we've been following this ser series in Mark, right? Jesus starts in Galilee. He starts his journey towards Jerusalem. It's taken a few months to walk this distance. And now we see him in Bethany and Bethphage. Here's a map of the area so you understand what we're talking about. You're going to see that from Bethany to Bethphage, he basically is going to go up and over the Mount of Olives. Now, when he gets to the top of the Mount of Olives, he's going to be able to see all of Jerusalem. From, from Bethany on to Jerusalem, we're only talking a couple of miles. That's like going from here to the Tim Hortons that's connected to the gas station, which is so weird to me. Like, it's weird to connect your coffee shop to a gas station. I don't know. I just, maybe it's just me. Something about looking out the window at the scenery and you got gas pump. It just, I don't know. I'm so weirded out by that. It just bothers me. It bothers me something fierce. Let's get back to the Bible. <laughs> so the first century Jerusalem, this is huge. We need to remember what time of year it is. This has huge implications because Jerusalem at the time has about 30,000 people who call it home. But during the Passover, the population is going to go from 30,000 to 180,000. From 30,000 to 180,000 during Passover. The historian Josephus said that he estimated there were 255,000 lambs sold during the Passover. Here's why I mentioned that. Jesus and his followers, they could have snuck in and snuck out of the city, no problem. No one would have thought a thing about it. They, no one would have noticed 30,000 to 180,000. The city was, was busting at the seams with animals and with people. Jesus could have gone in and no one would have taken notice. And yet, he said there's a different plan. You see, that very cult, just sitting on the cult, elevated him in a way that everyone would have noticed as Jesus entered the city. The king has come to Jerusalem and people needed to take note. Now, there's, there's some huge implications when it comes to this, to this donkey that maybe you'd miss. In verse 2, Jesus tells them very specifically, I want you to go get this donkey. Go get this cult. In verse 2, in verses 4 through 6, we're told that that's exactly what happened. The reason that this is big is this fulfills a messianic prophecy from 500 years before. This is fulfilling a 500-year-old prophecy. In your notes, write down Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 and 10. 
Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 and 10. If you're on your app, you can go there real quick and follow with me. It says this. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Remember, this is a prophet. 500 years before the birth of Jesus. 500 years. He's writing this. Listen close to what it says. It says, Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation as he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now, there's so much irony taking place here that if we go fast, you just, you just miss it. So we're going to slow it down. He says, you, Zion, you, Jerusalem, you have one duty. And what is that? I want you to rejoice. I want you to rejoice greatly. And yet the city doesn't rejoice. The city sleeps. There's no scribes who come out to meet Jesus when he's at Jerusalem. There's no Pharisees. There's no Sadducees. There's no chief priests. There's no elders. No one shows up to greet Jesus. They had one job, one task, and that was to rejoice. And there's only silence from the city. Then Zechariah goes on. He says, behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation as he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the word righteous is used here. Anytime you see the word righteous in the Bible, I want you in your mind to immediately say a right standing with God because that's what it means. It means a right standing with God. So Zechariah is saying there's going to be one who comes. And the one who comes, the king who comes, who's seated on a donkey, a humble position, he's going to have a right standing with God. This king is going to be a king who's not coming just, just, just to come in power and might, but he's coming with a right standing with God. And then verse 10, he says, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim, the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea. And from river to the ends of the earth. So the chariot, the war horse, the battle bow. Like even if you don't follow a lot of history, you, you get this, right? Chariots, war horses, and battle bows. That's, that's the military machine of Israel in the day. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about the military machine. And normally when you would hear of a king coming, a conquering king coming in, you're expecting that. Right? You're expecting a battle bow. You're expecting a war horse. Jesus doesn't come on a war horse, though, does he? He comes humble on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. That's how he comes. That's how Jesus enters the city. But I want to be very clear. Even though he comes humble, he does have command, doesn't he? He commands the two disciples, I want you to go. I want you to get a colt. What do they do? Exactly what Jesus says. He says, when they talk to you, here's how you're going to respond. What they do? They did exactly what Jesus said. He's still the king. He's humble, but he won't be ignored. Which brings us to the second point this morning. What kind of king are you receiving when you receive Jesus? You're receiving a king who delights you. Now, don't go too fast and say who delights in you. It's not delight in you. Who delights you? A king who delights you. Look what Scripture says, starting in verse 7. It says, and they brought the colt to Jesus, and they threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming of the kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. So they bring this, this donkey to Jesus, and they put their cloaks on the donkey so Jesus can sit up there on it. And there was a crowd, a 
again as the same crowd who had followed Jesus from Galilee. The crowd grew in Jericho, and they put palm branches in front and behind, and they were shouting out, Hosanna. Now, if you've been going to church for a long time, you're going, yeah, I've heard that story. Hosanna, maybe even when you were a kid, maybe even waved around like a, not the whole branch probably, you probably got one leaf, right? And so you're just wiggling the leaf until it broke, and then you're like, I got that leaf, you know, that's the one I got. And and you may not have any idea why you were doing that. There's a reason that they were shouting out Hosanna. There's a huge implication to this, and it goes back to Psalm 118. You should write that down, Psalm 118, verses 25 and 26. The crowds are shouting this out, but there's a reason they're shouting out, Hosanna, glory to God in the highest. Look what it says. It says, save us, Psalm 118, verse 25 and 26. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. You see, that word Hosanna It means save us. So the people were yelling out, rescue us. But when they were yelling it with Jesus, it was rejoicing. They were celebrating as they said that to Jesus. Save us, rescue us is essentially what they were saying. Now, Psalm 118 is the last of six psalms. There's six of them known as the Egyptian Hallel. The Egyptian Hallel. These are the six psalms that the Israelites would sing during the Passover. It was remembering the freedom that God gave from slavery to the Egyptians. We get that, don't we? Like, we totally understand that. Because we have songs at Christmas time, we sing over and over and over and over. All Kip has to do is stand up here and go, and we're like, nope, we're on board. We know what song we're singing, right? We're all, we're all going to sing it together, and we join together. And so there are songs that every Christmas we sing it again and again and again. You've done it your whole life since you were a little bitty boy or a little bitty girl. Now, we'll keep doing it, like for years to come. We're going to come back to those songs because they're familiar to us. They say something about the coming of Jesus. And so we sing those songs. The Israelites, they were the same way with the Passover. They had these songs that every year they would sing. And they were songs that said, God, you saved us. God, you set us free. God, you parted the waters and we walked through on dry ground. Lord, you rescued us. Now think about this. Here they are with Jesus elevated, with Jesus on the donkey. They're laying down palm branches, and they're yelling out, Hosanna. Here's the one who saves us. Here's the one who rescues us. Unfortunately, I think they were yelling that out because they thought, just like God rescued the Israelites from the Egyptians, I I think they were expecting the Messiah to save them from Rome. But Jesus didn't come to take on Rome, did he? He came to take on Satan. He came to take on sin. He came to take on death. That's why he came. So the crowd, they start to celebrate. And they, they use that phrase, the son of David. Now, we know from last week, Bartimaeus brought that up, right, the son of David theme. But there's, they're celebrating. They're praising. And that's really what praise is. Praise is saying, I, I'm celebrating something that's happened or I'm celebrating this person, either one, right? It expresses delight. That's what praise does. We've seen it all the time. We see it with Facebook. Sometimes it's weird when husbands and wives do it too much. Like, don't be the weird person if that's you. Like, don't, like, get all mushy. No one likes that. Like, just so you know, people don't like that at all. It makes us feel weird. But some of you, you do it very appropriately. I'm playing just so you know. Like, I'm kidding. Like, don't get mad and leave and say, Billy says I shouldn't love my spouse. Like, that, because it's not, I'm saying, I just went too far. All right, anyway. (laughs) 
I need to get back on script real fast. You've seen when husbands and wives are affirming each other on Facebook, right? You've seen that. You've seen the husband who says, oh my goodness, let me tell you about my bride. She's amazing. She just got her degree in record time. She did it. And not only that, she like every single night, she reads a book to the kids and she prays with them before bed. Honey, I am so proud of you. You nailed it. Well done. And then that make us all feel good. Like, we get excited about that, and we like that status, and we get excited about that status, and we celebrate that status. That's an appropriate status. We love that kind of stuff. Or the Eagles won the Super Bowl. They beat those bad, awful, horrible Patriots. And Bradley Cooper, he's an actor. If you like the Patriots, I was just kidding again. Anyway, so Bradley Cooper, <laughs> Bradley Cooper, he's an actor. He's kind of a famous actor, and he's a huge Philadelphia fan. So he's over there with the fans, and he's flapping his arms, looking ridiculous. But there's this praise. There's this affirmation. There's this excitement. Or go back to Kirk Gibson. Remember the picture after he hit the homer? You know, and he's looking all crazy with his arms. Can you imagine if he ran all the way around the bases, and those guys are standing there to high-five. Like, there's a, a guy named Trammell or something, right? I don't know. Anyway, the guys, I think I remember that on a jersey. So anyway, the guys who were going to high-five, those baseballers, you know, and they're wanting to high-five him. Can you imagine if he's like, nope, and he steps on home plate, and then he just looks around at everybody cheering, and he just goes, I'm happy. Just <laughs> be weird, wouldn't it? That'd be so weird, so not appropriate. See, when you receive Jesus... You receive a king who delights you. When you receive Jesus, you receive a king who delights you. And in that, you can't hold back praise. I've been really working through how to best say this. And um, so I'm just, I'm just going to say it. I think sometimes we have people who have been going to church for a long, long time. And you're going through the motions. And you find that it's just as easy not to go to church as it is to go to church. If that's you, if it's like, if it's so easy for you to skip church and to skip worship, let me just say, like, maybe you haven't found a king who you delight in. Maybe you found church. Maybe you found some religion, but, but you really haven't found Jesus. Or when you come to church, when it comes that time to sing, if you're the one who, like, sits there and you're like, I'm just going to cross my arms. Singing's not really my thing. I don't really like to sing very much, and I'm afraid it's going to be too loud or too quiet or you know, not enough lights or too many lights or, you know, if Kip would just shave his hair and look like Billy, then I could probably worship, you know, that'd free me up, stare at his head, maybe see a vision, you know, but I, I just get, I just get during that whole singing part, I'm just going to stand here, you know, and I'm just going to, I'm just going to make it look like Christian karaoke is really what I'm going to do. So whether I participate or don't participate, it's okay. If that's you, you've totally missed the point. You have not found a king who you can take delight in. You've not found a king who you're rejoicing in. You're not found in you have not found a king that you're going to praise. Because there should be something in every single one of us. Jesus did not have to tell them, put down palm branches and yell Hosanna. They did it because there was no way they could hold it in. And when we come together as brothers and sisters in Christ, there is no way we should be able to hold it in. When we come together, I don't care whether the song is old, I don't care whether the song is new, I don't care if it's something in the middle, there's something that should happen when we join our voices together because that's a snapshot of heaven. Do you realize that? That Man, you can worship on your own in your car and listen to whatever you want at whatever volume control you want, but when we come together, this is a picture of what heaven is. It's where we join the song that the angels can't sing because we have the song of the redeemed in that place. There's power in that. 
So if you find yourself holding back, let me just say that maybe you found church and maybe you found religion, but today I hope you find Jesus. Because when you do, it's radically going to change you. We have a humble king who came on a donkey, but he is worthy of our worship and our praise. Yeah. You know, last, what, what kind of king are you receiving when you receive Jesus? You're finding a king who saves you. You're finding a king who saves you. Look at verse 11 real fast. It says, he entered, he entered Jerusalem and he went to the temple. And when he had looked around at everything as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the 12. So it seems by verse 11, the parade's over. Like everybody's gone home. Jesus is standing there. And man, I, I can't imagine what was going through his mind as he stood there and looked at the temple. I cannot even start to fathom. Did he know and was he going through everything that was going to happen for the rest of the week? We're not sure. But here's what we know. We know that he walked two miles and went back to Bethany for the night. We know in verse 14 that he walks the next morning. He gets up and as he's going along, the fig tree is there, right? As the fig tree is there, he curses the fig tree because there's no fruit. You and I, we're called to have fruit in our lives. You see, it's not just physical fruit from the tree. You and I, we're supposed to have fruit. We're supposed to have spiritual fruit to us. And I wonder, was Jesus looking at those who were the spiritual rulers of their nation in this day? And it was the same kind of curse, just saying, you have been fruitless. What we do know is he went to the temple next. The temple was supposed to be this house of prayer for all the nations. And yet Jesus looks at it and calls it a what? He calls it a den of robbers. You know why he did that? He ends up flipping over the money tables, all the money changers, flips over all their tables, gets pretty upset in this moment. Again, go back to normally 30,000 people, and yet during the Passover, it swells to 180,000 people. Most people were pilgrims coming in, right? They were people coming to worship God. That's why they were coming in. And there were people in the city, especially in the temple, who looked and said, this is my opportunity to take advantage of you. This is my opportunity to make some money off of you. You're only here for a short time, so what do I care? All right, I'm going I'm to make some money off of you. And Jesus is angry. He's angry that God's house would be less than honored. Now, remember what the temple is. The temple, the temple is this place. It's a, it's a meeting place between God and his people. That's what the temple is. The temple is that meeting point between heaven and earth. Forty years after this, the Romans would go through and would destroy the temple. You see, today, if you go to Israel, you can't see the temple. The temple's not there. There's one piece of a wall. That's all that's left, right? There, there's no temple that's left. But we know there's not really reason to be concerned about that, is there? Because Jesus says they're going to tear down the temple, and he's going to rebuild it in three days. And he's not talking about the physical building. He's talking about himself. The disciples knew this because of John chapter 2. They knew that Jesus was talking about him being the temple. Jesus becomes the meeting place between heaven and earth. He becomes salvation. He is Hosanna. He is the one who rescues and saves. I think that everyone, everyone, I think everyone seeks salvation. We may call it something different, but I think we're all seeking this place that says, I want to feel safe. I want to feel protected I don't feel loved and cared for. I don't, I don't want death. I don't want sickness. I don't want disease. I think every single one of us, we all seek salvation. That's why when World War II happened and that parade happened, the Victory Day Parade in New York City, that's why for 11 hours no one was in a hurry to move on from that spot. 
they had tasted the opposite of safety. And so they said, just for a moment, just for one moment, we're safe right here. There's no war, just for a moment. It may not last very long, but for a little bit, there's peace. And everyone was content to stay in that place. How about you? Let's get personal with this. Where do you go for your salvation? Where are you seeking salvation? Because I think people go to the same places again and again. Maybe for you, the reality is you go to being good. You want to be good. But, but being good really just basically means I want to be better than the person next to me, right? And not good next to holy because we can't get there. So we're just going to go, well, I'm, I want to be better than the person next to me. And if I'm looking at the Ten Commandments, I've never murdered anyone. So I'm just going to go with that. You know, that's pretty much good enough. That's what I'm shooting for. Some of you, it's I want to be smart. I want to read the Bible. I want to know the Bible. Some of you, is I'm going to go to church. And that's where you're going for salvation. You're going to go to these different things. Some of you, you go to people. Listen, if you, if you are trusting your salvation because of your pastor or because of grandma or grandpa or your spouse or a friend or mom or dad, if, you, if you're trusting any of those, every single one of them is going to let you down. Every single one. So if you've been going to any of those areas, you need Jesus. You need Jesus. Most of you know C.S. Lewis, probably because of his Chronicles of Narnia series, right? The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Um, he's also a pretty brilliant theologian. And my favorite thing that he ever said, one of my favorite quotes ever, he says, Jesus was either a lunatic, a liar, or the Lord. Now think about it. Jesus said, they're going to kill me, and after three days I'm going to come back from the dead. If someone told you today they're going to come back from the dead, what would you think? You're either a liar, you're a lunatic, or you're going to come back from the dead. One of the three is true. Jesus says no one comes to the Father except through him. You see, if Jesus is Lord, it changes everything, doesn't it? If Jesus is Lord, it changes everything. So for those of us who are followers of Jesus, there's something in us that should start to rise up. In times like this, it's Palm Sunday. Good Friday is just five days away. Easter is one week away. There's something in us that should rise up and say, oh, my goodness, it's an opportunity. I have people I know that I work with, that I go to school with, that I'm related to, that I'm friends with. I have people who need to hear the truth about the grace of a holy and an awesome God. And I don't want to miss this chance. I don't know how many chances I might get or I might not get. I'm not going to waste this opportunity. There's something in all of us that should just start to boil over and say, oh, my goodness, this is it. And those of you who have never placed your faith in Jesus, I want to go back to that question. Where have you been going to seek your salvation? Because if you're intellectually honest with yourself right now and you examine your own heart, you're going to say, I know that none of those things will hit the mark. I know if I'm trusting my good deeds for my salvation, at the end of the day, I'm never content with that. If you're trusting your intelligence, if you're trusting your church, if you're trusting your friends, none of that will ever satisfy. You need Jesus. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for today. I thank you for the freedom that we have in this place to worship you in spirit and in truth. I pray for a continued transforming inside of us by the renewing of our minds today. I pray that we've been able to get that snapshot of the throne room of grace. That today we've seen you high and lifted up. And we can't hold our voice silent because of that. 
God, continue to break our hearts for the things that break yours. Continue to help us to see this world the way that you do. We want to have the mind of Christ. We want to love the way that you do selflessly and aggressively. We thank you for a humble king who came on a donkey, not a war horse, not with battle bows, not with chariots, on a donkey. But we realize that as as your people, we're able to pray. There's power in our prayer. We don't need the temple today. You built the body of Christ right here. Lord, I also pray for those who have never placed your faith in you, that in the quiet of this place, they're able, just between you and them, they're able to come to you and say, thank you, Father. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for rescuing me. Hosanna. Thank you for saving me and rescuing me. And I believe, I believe that Jesus came and did what I couldn't do. He lived a perfect and sinless life. I believe that he entered that city as crowds cheered. The city may not have come out, and yet it did not stop a celebration of praise. And Jesus, I believe that you lived that perfect and sinless life. I believe that you did face Satan and sin and death, and you conquered all three on the cross. And I'm placing my faith in that truth today, and only that truth. Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life. Thank you for rescuing me. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Church, let's stand as we worship this morning.